What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me here for this Tuesday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We're a sports ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You guys can find me over on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. That's where you find all of our new podcasts, articles, news and notes, any baseball updates at all that we share out on social media. You guys will find at EthosFantasyBB. So make sure you guys are checking us out over there. If you're not somebody who does use social media, SportsEthos.com is the place where you can find all of that work. Now today we're going to conclude our second base shows. This is the third one. If you guys have missed the first two, you guys can go back in the feed and check them out. The first show we did, 1 through 10. The second show, 11 through 20. That's kind of been the format we've been doing here with our positional reviews. It'll have to change once we get to outfield because there are just a lot more viable names. And the same thing with starting pitcher. So we'll have to tinker it a little bit for uh, for those two positions. But everything else thus far has followed that format. The part one show is 1 through 10. Part two is 11 through 20. And then the part three show is just looking at some guys who finished outside of the top 20. In terms of Yahoo's rankings, we're using Yahoo here to look at their end of season rankings to see exactly who was top 20 and who finished outside of it. I know that there are different places that people will go whether it's Razzball or Fangraphs to look at auction calculators or use your own method or whatever. Uh, I just think Yahoo is probably the easiest one for everybody because it's where the majority of players will play. Uh, there's a lot of ESPN players as well, uh, but we are using Yahoo's rankings here to talk about this. So we're going to start off with Matt McLean. And there's actually two Cincinnati Reds that are at the top here that were second base eligible players. And it's McLean and Jonathan India. Those are the two guys that we're going to start off with, but we'll start off uh, first with Matt McLean. He has a pretty decent argument to be made uh, that he was the waiver wire pickup of the season. He's certainly on a very, very short list. And I, I don't know how I feel about him exactly for next year just because of the price being a little bit expensive. But let's talk about what he did this past season. 65 runs, 16 homers, 50 RBI, 14 stolen bases, and a 290 batting average. He did this in 89 games, just over half a season so you're pretty much looking at, not exactly, but like a 30-30 kind of pace here. Uh, pretty damn close to it with a 290 batting average. I really, really like Matt McClain. I picked him up in my home league, and he was one of the reasons why my team, which was kind of struggling at that point, was able to come back and finish, I believe, second in the regular season. It was a head-to-head league. So I did end up bowing out in the semifinals of the playoffs, but I don't think I would have got there without Matt McClain. I think you can make a strong case that he was, at worst, one of the top two or three pickups of the season. And people are certainly remembering that when we're talking about early drafts. Holy shit, guys. Matt McLean is expensive. If you do want to have any shares of him next year, you're going to be paying up for it. His minimum pick is 44, maximum 83, and he's settling in at that ADP of 67. And we're currently looking at 24 drafts all told that have taken place on the NFBC. I don't love the price. I mean, I think that that's probably reasonable considering what he did this year. But it's also pretty damn expensive. If you're getting him at the lower end of that threshold, you're talking about a third-round pick. I did see him go in Arizona, I believe, at the beginning of the third round, which is not being factored in here to that ADP uh, because that draft was not a paid league. The league we do in Arizona, it's just for fun. That one is not uh, something that gets factored into the ADP data you see on the site because there's no money involved in it. But I think Matt McClain did go in the early 30s in that draft, beginning of the third round. So people are pushing him pretty high up the board. And I just don't know if I'm necessarily all the way there. The profile is pretty good. 
but there's also a lot of strikeouts we saw at the big league level. And we have seen that at the minor league level as well, specifically when he was at double A, which was his biggest sample size anywhere in the minor leagues. We're looking at 28% strikeout rate there. Now, he always had good walk rates. It translated all right in his first season in the big leagues, 7.7%, which is about average, roughly average. In the minors, you're looking at 14, 15, 16% kind of uh, walk rates, which are obviously elite. I don't think he'll be able to get there at the big league level, but maybe he's able to push up to 10, and maybe we can get that strikeout rate down to 25. But overall, I think it's kind of a risky profile to invest in so early. Now, I had some concerns. We talked about them last time on the show that – and it wasn't necessarily McLean-centric, but just that there was going to be too many mouths to feed in Cincinnati, and I don't know that the playing time is going to be there for everybody, and everybody might just suffer a little bit because of it. Everybody might just have to sit out once a week or something like that. Not that they're going to be sitting guys regularly like McLean, but it's still going to be a hassle if there's too many mouths to feed. Now, there's a report we're going to get to in a second about Jonathan India that makes me feel a bit better about that, and that does lead me to think that I could probably get behind him in the fifth or sixth round. But in the fourth round, I think at that point it's a little bit too risky. There's a lot of names that I feel pretty confident in at that point of the draft. Like you're you're drafting for upside, but you're also drafting for floor probably in the third round, right? You're not trying to take a huge risk. Some people are drafting Royce Lewis, C.J. Abrams, and those are kind of risky players. But in the range that you are taking Matt McClain, you're talking about a lot of really, really talented players going like right around him, like if you're talking, so just in that same kind of 10-pick stretch, you're talking Christian Yelich, you're talking JT Real Muto, Manny Machado, uh, Jordan Romano, Mike Trout, Blake Snell, uh, Paul Goldschmidt. These guys are going a few picks before or after Matt McClain. So I think there's a lot more security you could have in picking somebody where you generally kind of know what they're going to be as opposed to McClain, who... He could take a step forward. Like he could absolutely come out next year and go 30 30 and hit 265, 270, which I could, I don't think the 290 batting average is really realistic, but let's say it is, right? Like let's say it's all things best case scenario. Is that really what you're hoping for in the third round? Like obviously it's what you're hoping for, but is it realistic to hope for it? Like you, you can hope for, you know, anything. But if you're sitting there looking realistically, is Matt McLean going to give you 30 homers, 30 stolen bases, and like a 300 average? Probably not. Realistically speaking, his batting average is going to come back down to earth. The stolen bases and the home runs are probably going to increase a little bit, but you know we have that risk with every young guy who comes up and shines, That, especially over a smaller sample size. We're talking 89 games. We're talking less than 400 at-bats here. There's a chance that it just doesn't carry over immediately in his sophomore season. We see it with a lot of players. They have a really good initial stretch. The first one coming to mind is Cabrian Hayes. But there are a ton of different players who do fit that bill that come up and they look amazing. And then in their second year, it's kind of like, oh, you know, he's pretty good. He's not really what we were hoping for. And you're paying the top end of the dollar value spectrum here with Matt McClain. If you're in an auction, whether, whether however you're playing, auction, snake draft, whatever it is, you're paying top dollar for him. And while he did that over the course of about half a season... I don't know that I'm going to be taking him over some of those guys that we mentioned that we know year in and year out essentially what they're going to do within a range. But with McLean, it could be an amazing range of, like I said, 30-30, or it could be kind of what he did this year but spread out over a whole season where he's getting you 18 homers and 17 steals, which would be all right. But in the fourth round, I think there's a little bit too much risk with Matt McLean where he's currently going. Love him as a player. I think he's fantastic, but I think that the price is not exactly right for me at this point. 
Now let's talk about Jonathan India. We'll talk about the fantasy side of him first, and then we will get into the report that I mentioned earlier today uh, that, we, that we will talk about. But Jonathan India, just from a baseball point of view, was kind of a mixed bag this year. There were times when you were really happy to have him, and he was incredibly hot for stretches. And then there were times when he wasn't so great. 454 at-bats, it's 17 homers, 14 steals, 78 runs, and 61 RBI. It was a 244 batting average, which is it's okay, and it's probably generally what we should be expecting from India. I know that after he had that incredible rookie season, you're kind of thinking that you can see like a 270, kind of 280 kind of range from him. Last two years, albeit with injuries involved, we're seeing like a 240 to 250 kind of hitter. That's probably where I would be expecting him to finish. Now, I think that he is somebody that's going to be solidly in the range of just okay at second base, but also not somebody that I think is going to be terribly exciting one way or the other. Like that rookie year kind of probably wet our appetite, and not even wet our appetite. It probably just excited us to think that, well, you know, Jonathan, he's a perfect example. You know, like I talked about with, with Matt McClain, I'm trying to think of comps for guys who came out on fire and then took a step back. His teammate, Jonathan India, is a great example of that. You know, his rookie year, 21 and 12, he batted 270. And the next year, albeit injury riddled, but 10 homers, three steals, and he batted 250. You do see those kind of examples. So just to touch back on McLean for a second, don't just assume that next year is going to be so amazing. Um, Jonathan India, the price, it's not expensive. You're not having to pay a lot for him because he just kind of hasn't been that amazing recently uh 184 is the adp 121 is the minimum 220 is the max i think that can get behind him at that point probably but i just think he's kind of unexceptional and the role and the position and the, where he's gonna be playing is also in flux as well so we've seen it a couple times today there have been tweets and there was something that mlb trade rumors released an article they're saying that Jonathan India is seen as an increasingly uh, likely trade candidate from the reds and they want to try and get back some pitching which is understandable. They have so much young talent offensively, and they've kind of cleaned out their pitching over the last few years with Molly and Castillo and Sonny Gray. And, you know, they got the young guys coming up, but they do need an older anchor in that rotation. Somebody who is not 25 years old and, you know, somebody who can control the ball a little bit more than, than Hunter Green and Nick Lodolo probably can. So they want to have somebody that can be an ace in that rotation. Now, I didn't even mention Abbott. They have such young, talented arms, but... They have a surplus of talent in the infield, specifically at second base there in the middle. So Jonathan India is somebody that's probably going to be traded. We don't know where he's going to go, what the situation is going to look like. I can tell you this, it'll be a worse ballpark. Unless he goes to Colorado, you're looking at a worse home park situation. Now, you're probably looking at a better actual playing time situation for Jonathan India wherever he goes, because this has been the thing, right? We haven't been sure of who's going to be in Cincinnati and who's not going to be there. If Jonathan India is there and there are too many middle infielders, too many cooks in the kitchen, then there's not going to be full-time playing opportunities for him. You want to say, oh, he'll DH sometimes, he'll play third, he'll, they'll stick him in the corner outfield, whatever. I don't, just don't know. I think they're just, honestly, there's too many pieces there for them to do that. Maybe them trading him is the best thing, just from a volume standpoint, but he's going to lose that great lineup around him and he's going to lose that ballpark. So, Jonathan India's production has not been terribly amazing these last couple of years. Like I said, there was a time this year where he was really hot. He also runs really, really cold. So we'll reevaluate when we know where he's going to be for sure. Maybe he stays in Cincinnati, and maybe they say he's going to get full-time at-bats between second, between wherever. I don't think they have them personally. 
but we'll just kind of have to see. As of right now, I'm out. I don't think that even at the price you're paying, which is close to pick 200, there's enough upside in taking Jonathan India. I don't think there's enough floor or an upside for that matter. The floor could be that he's a platoon player, and the upside is, well, maybe 20 and 10. He gets back to what he did as a rookie, but I don't see him surpassing that so much. He's still really young, and you never really know with a guy who is his age, which is at this point, how old is Jonathan India? 26? He's 26, going to be 27 years old in a couple months. Is he going to get much better? Yeah, he could. The trajectory he has been on, though, suggests that he's kind of plateauing at where he is. Now, I want to see another full season out of him where he's healthy. That might change my tune. But as of right now, I just don't have that much interest in Jonathan India. That could definitely change if he goes to a situation where we know he's everyday second baseman, leadoff hitter, and it's a decent lineup around him. The park isn't terrible. Then I could get back behind him, even at pick 180. But as of right now, there are just too many questions, and I just can't see myself getting in bed with him uh, at this price. Or really, honestly, even if it was a little bit later, I just can't see myself being that interested in Jonathan India at the moment. Let's talk about an older player, and then we'll get back to a couple of younger ones uh, a little bit later on. Let's transition to Jeff McNeil. Jeff McNeil has been one of my favorite players to draft in fantasy for the last several years. He's somebody that you haven't really had to invest a terribly high price in. Batting in a very good lineup, even this past season, where you're talking about a disappointing team, you're talking about a guy who is batting. I mean, it fluctuates where he bats. He literally had times where he played every single spot in the lineup this year except for eighth. But his most popular spot was third in the lineup. So you're getting a guy in the middle of a really good lineup who has not a lot of pop, but he can go for you know eight to ten homers. You're getting a little bit of speed, and you're getting a guy who's consistently batting close to 300. Now, these last four seasons are going to throw projections for a bit of a whirl in terms of what you're expecting out of batting average. He has gone from 311 down to 251, back up to 326, and then this year down to 270 again. The BABIP has fluctuated along with the batting average. Now, maybe he gets back up to over 300. That seems to be the way it has kind of gone back and forth. I think that you're probably looking at, regardless of what the projections are going to say, somewhere between 280 and 300, which where you're getting Jeff McNeil is going to be a good price. Jeff McNeil, at this point in drafts, is going as pick 322 on average. 264 is the minimum, 404 is the maximum. That's a pretty damn solid range. He is signed, locked in with New York for the next several years, so there's no worry about him getting traded or anything like that. You're getting a guy who is dual eligible, second base and in the outfield, and I think he just doesn't really hurt you anywhere. Like He is not going to be a massive boon to your runs and RBIs. You're talking about probably 70 or so runs, 50 to 70 range of RBI. But it's just kind of solid at that point, especially if you're talking a draft champions format where you don't have pickups throughout the year. A guy with versatility and a good lineup who's kind of a, you know, just helps you out a little bit all over the place. I think you can make room for Jeff McNeil on nearly every roster. Incredibly low strikeout rate. The walk rate is about average, but he's only striking out 10% of the time. That ball's getting put in play. There are going to be more good things that happen when the ball gets put in play. I know. Really complicated analysis there, but that's the case with Jeff McNeil. He's a productive fantasy player pretty much every year because he's able to do things all over the place. This year was 10 homers, 10 steals. It's not, it doesn't look amazing for sure, but when you factor in 75 runs, a 270 batting average, and especially in one of those DC formats, then you're looking at a really good asset here. He's not somebody that's going to be pushed up the board. He's a boring older player. And those are the kind of guys that win you a lot of leagues. It's usually not the Royce Lewis's in round three 
and the Nolan Joneses in round four that win you leagues. It's usually these kind of guys who are still solid veterans that just fall several rounds because people are bored of them. You know, coming into this year, he was going a lot higher. He was coming off a batting title, 326 batting average. People were more interested. The skills aren't really different than they were a year ago. The same player he was a year ago. He had some really bad BABIP this year, and the average came down to 270. Well, he's a 298 career hitter still. I'm still going to lean more into that whole sample size where every year of his career, except for two, he has been over 300. So I think there's a lot to really like with Jeff McNeil. You're not spending up for him. Good lineup around him. All this talk about Alonzo potentially getting traded and Lindor, whatever they're saying, it's not going to happen. They're going to add. They're not going to subtract to that team. Cohen and Co. are not going to just say, well, you know, maybe we'll just win 75 games again next year. There's no chance of that happening. They're going to keep adding. McNeil's going to be there, and I think he's going to be a great asset that doesn't cost you a ton on draft day. Last round pick of your 12-teamer, Jeff McNeil seems like a really good candidate. We're going to do that same thing we did last year, which wasn't like an official thing, but we're going to talk about those guys who do make a lot of sense as your last round pick last two rounds maybe, and Jeff McNeil is going to be among them because I think he makes a lot of sense from a lot of different positions, but specifically after pick 300, I don't think you can really go wrong at that point. But let's move on. Let's talk about another young guy, another Canadian here, and that's Edward Julian. Edward Julian, or Julian, uh, depending on where you are in the world, how you want to pronounce it, he was pretty damn excellent this season. 109 games, 16 homers, three stolen bases, a 263 batting average, now, there are certain things that you absolutely love about Edward Julian, and there are certain things that are not the greatest. So we'll start with the good stuff. Almost every time he's in the order, there were some random appearances where he's th- scattered throughout the lineup, but 57 times he was leading off, 25 times he was in the number two hole. That's the vast majority of his appearances. That is 85 out of 109 games. You're seeing Edward Julian at the top of the lineup. That's very good. 16 homers in 109 games. That's really damn solid for your second baseman in fantasy. You're talking about a 25 to 30 home run pace. And we saw in the minor leagues, you're looking at high A in 2021, 15 homers in 65 games. He goes up a level to double A in 2022, 17 homers in 113 games. So we know that the power is there. We know that the speed is there, even though it hasn't really come along yet at the big league level. You're talking about a guy who was stealing routinely double digit bases and actually touched 21 and 19. Uh, in separate years in the minor league. So uh, you're looking at a guy who can realistically get over what he's did this year, which was three stolen bases. You're also talking about a 15.7% walk rate. If you guys are in on-base percentage leagues, Edward Julian is going to be through the roof expensive. On-base percentage dynasty leagues, I can't even imagine what the price is. That's not my area of expertise. But a 381 OBP where you're looking at the minors, the lowest on-base percentage he ever had was 397. He's a guy who is going to be a very, very, very productive fantasy player. You are talking about a 136 WRC plus as a rookie. Now, his defense is not the greatest. Let's start getting into the bad stuff. His defense is not the greatest. That may cost him some at-bats. 27 times he was the designated hitter this year because mm, they didn't really want to throw him out in the field there. Even a team that was kind of struggling at times, trying to find healthy bodies, middle of the infield. You know, Correa was pretty healthy, but Polanco got hurt. Royce Lewis is always hurt. And still, Edward Julian was DHing a good chunk of the time. Four times at first base as well, but that's not really going to matter so much for us for fantasy purposes. Another negative in his game was a 31.4% strikeout rate. That's pretty high. He was always pretty high in the minors, so it's not a huge surprise. Usually, we're talking between 24 and 29%. 
you'd like to see him bring that down. That's something that will drag on your batting average if you're talking the batting average league. A 263 average despite a 371 BABIP, that's not great. The strikeouts are definitely a contributing factor for it. But overall, I think that he is going to be a really valuable fantasy asset for the next several, several years. The price is pretty damn good, too. Like, I don't want to be talking about him and pushing him up so much, so we're not going to put him in any titles of the video or anything like that. But Edward Julian's going close to pick 200. His range is pretty massive. The minimum pick is 126. At that point, it's probably a little too pricey. But the max is 240, and we're seeing the ADP at 197. For a guy that I don't think is going to hit 300, but he's going to hit like 260 to 270 probably. There's 20 home run potential in the bat. We might see the steals come around to the point where there's like 10 to 15 steals. Definitely possible. And I think you're talking runs in the 70 to 80 kind of range at least, right? He had 60 runs in 109 games this year. You give him a full season's worth of at-bats, you're talking this, you're only 338 at-bats. If he's leading off full-time, you can essentially double that. I'm not saying you're going to double the runs, but you're probably looking close to 100, right? You're, you're probably looking at close to 100 runs if everything goes right for him. Now, the RBI at that point, you don't really care as a leadoff second base guy. But still... I'm thinking you're probably looking at 65 or 70. Like, my projections for Julian are going to be pretty lofty. I haven't got to him yet. I haven't got to a lot of Twins players yet. But I think he's going to be somebody that is severely undervalued, going close to pick 200, and a lot of the time beyond it, that is going to be... I'm not going to call him five categories because I don't know what the speed is going to look like, and I don't really know what the batting average is going to look like. He's run some extraordinarily high BABIPs in the past, as high as 451, and in the minors, you're looking at 451, 322, 393, 386. Sometimes that's been an, a batting average above 300, and sometimes that's been 247. So it's kind of hard to project batting average. Steamer has him at 239. I think that's a little low. I think you're probably looking 250, 260, again, uh, for batting average from Julian. I think you're looking at like at least three-plus categories worth of production. And some of you guys will say that's not very exciting. But you're talking about a guy who's going to be leading off or at the very least the top two in the order with those on-base skills there's no there's no way he's batting below second you're talking about a pretty good team you're talking about pretty much every factor working for him there you know he's going to get on base decent power good team good draft price leading off like there's a lot to really like about edward julian and i think the thing i like the most is that you don't have to really pay up for it if you're getting him right at your at the adp at pick 197 you are talking about your 14th round pick in a 15-team league. That's not something you really need to worry about. 12-team league, you're talking a 17th round pick. At that point, you know how many players you're dropping after round 12 or 13 anyway, like throughout the season? You're probably talking about at least half of them. To get somebody like Julian who, I mean, the defense is the only real worry I have, the strikeout rate as well, but it's mostly the defense. But either way, he's going to be in the lineup. Like, they might not like it, and they might have to just deal with some bad second base player, put him at DH, but he's going to be in that lineup. He's going to be producing, and I think at pick 197, or even if it's pick 187 or 207, anywhere in that range, you're getting a really nice player in Edward Julian. So definitely somebody to put a red star beside, somebody that I think I'm going to be pretty interested in coming into 2024. Let's talk about Zach Geloff. Zach Geloff is the last guy we will mention here. On this show, again, not somebody who was finishing as a top 20 second baseman, but man, if he played a whole season, it's hard to envision a world where he would not have been a top 20 second baseman. You're looking at only 69 games, but 14 homers, 14 steals, and a 267 batting average for him. Now, 
this is a situation where we do have some downside, right? You're not talking about the same great lineup that you got for Julian, or you're talking about for McLean or McNeil. We're talking about a historically embarrassingly shitty team in the Oakland days. How different they're going to look this year than last year in 24 than in 23. I can't imagine it's that much different. I hate to say that for A's fans, but I just don't see there being that many impact guys that come up next season or guys that progress like the Geloffs and the Langoliers of the world, whoever, I don't see them getting that much better to the point where this team is going to be markedly improved from what we saw in 23. They're not going to be a free agent destination. They're not going to spend money in trades. They're not going to do anything. We saw them unload their whole roster these last few years. So from that perspective, you're looking at a supporting cast around Geloff that's not going to be terribly helpful in his quest for fantasy relevance. It's just not going to happen. He's going to have to do a lot of it on his own. And he kind of did a lot of it on his own this year. 69 games, you're still looking at 72 runs plus RBIs. That's still really, really valuable. It doesn't really matter what your what your team is, where you are. If you're having more than one run in RBI per game, I mean, obviously, if it's like Ronald Acuna, then you're disappointed at that point. But for a lot of players in Major League Baseball, that's pretty acceptable. To do it as a rookie at 23 years old, you know, I, I think it's hard to be disappointed in what Zach Geloff did. But to go along with that bad team, you also have a pretty cavernous ballpark where you're not going to be seeing balls that are just flying out of the yard it's a pretty big park it's not one of the better ones for hitters in major league baseball so i think maybe the power we don't see it progress the way that we're maybe hoping for and steamer has him down for 21 homers i don't know that i would necessarily want to be calling that kind of shot that he's gonna have 20 home runs you know if you're looking you're probably thinking i'm crazy right 69 games this year you had 14 homers you're talking about a 30 plus homer pace but i just don't look at him as a guy who is going to be hitting that many bombs? I mean, he's decent enough size, six foot three, two hundred and five pounds. He's not the biggest, bulkiest guy. Throughout the minors, he has had spurts of power, you know, pretty decent power. But when you're looking at a full season in that ballpark, you know, we're looking at a lot of small sample sizes in the minor leagues. Thirty-two games there, eighty games here, nine games there, seventy games there. You give him a whole season with half of his at-bats coming in Oakland, I just can't see him being a 20-homer guy. Maybe he sneaks his way there. But I think we are going to probably have to worry a little bit in the long run because there's a lot of noise in small sample sizes. Yes, he had 72 runs in RBIs. Is that going to be sticky year-to-year? They're not sticky year-to-year on good teams. So a guy who's probably going to be leading off or batting second for Oakland even though that's a pretty enviable situation to be as a leadoff hitter in baseball, it's like if it was any other team, I'd have a lot more interest in Zach Geloff. But because it's Oakland, I just gonna I'm gonna have to devalue him more so than I would want to. So I'm probably gonna come in projecting like 18 homers, 60 runs, and 60 RBI in that kind of range. The speed seems to be pretty legit, so maybe you give him 20, 25 stolen bases. But at that point. I just don't know if I could justify it where he is currently going. He's expensive, Zach Geloff. 136 is the ADP, 85 minimum, 169 maximum. You know, I'm just looking at the trends here, and there's only two drafts where he has gone inside of the top 100, so maybe that is not going to be commonplace every single time you have to pay top 100 price. But even if it's just outside, even if it's in the 110, 120 range, it feels rather expensive to have to pay for a guy playing in Oakland. There's nobody else in Oakland that we're really going to have to be paying that price for 
Estrella Ruiz is the exception because he is somebody who could steal 80 bases for you, and he's only going 20 picks higher at 116. With Geloff, I think there is upside, absolutely, and what we saw this year was really good. But there's a lot of red flags that I have, and at this point, I just can't pay the steep price that we are seeing people pay for him uh, at this rate. If it goes down a little bit and we're getting him consistently around that ADP, 130, 140, then I could probably be talked into it, you know, 140, 150 even as I'm thinking about it. But if he's going 130, 120, 110, it just feels a little bit early on to be taking a chance on a guy like Zach Geloff. I like him, but I don't like him that much. But let me know what you guys think. Over on Twitter, at JoelRico99, at EthosFantasyBB, and at SportsEthos.com. Of course, you guys can reach out any of those three platforms. One way or the other, you guys know how to reach me. The DMs are probably easiest, or just tweet at me if you have any questions about this. Uh, we are going to talk tomorrow about some ADP values. We're going to do it the next couple of days. We're going to look tomorrow at guys that I like, and the day after at guys that I dislike within the top 100 of early ADP. So hope you guys will be there for that one. But until then, guys, take care. Have a great night. And cheers. We'll see you tomorrow.